runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 236 with guest Jeff Woolsey. Recorded Tuesday, October 25th, 2011. Run As Radio is produced each week by Quop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hey, this is Richard Campbell flying solo for Run As Radio. I'm at Tech Days in Toronto, and I'm sitting with Jeff Woolsey. Uh, Jeff, tell the folks what you do for a living. I'm Jeff Woolsey. I'm a lead program, principal program manager in the Windows Server and Cloud Division. Um, I've had the pleasure of working on virtualization now for over 15 years. I've worked on it in a variety of uh, roles in uh, different companies. I actually worked at Connectix uh, way back when, when we delivered virtualization on the Macintosh. Uh, back then, people wanted to run DOS, Windows 3.1, Windows wow. 95 on their Power Mac 6100. Yeah, we, we uh, still the Motorola chips. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was well. It was in. And back then, it was not only virtualization; it was actually binary translation as well, where we actually converting from PowerPC to x86. Um, so yeah, long long history doing virtualization. Came over to Microsoft and been working on virtualization, first virtual server, and, and now Hyper-V. And, 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 uh, and in those server. early days, that was mostly about I want to have a. I, I was getting tired of keeping all those old machines around with all those OSs to test my software on. So just having a newer machine that was running each of the different test environments I needed to test against, but. It seems like virtualization's almost just dropped into the woodwork now. We use it all oh, the time. It, it's it's totally everywhere. I mm-hmm. mean, it, I was it was amazing. I was I was preparing for the tech days and the keynote here, and I was kind of looking over, you know, what's happened back in the '90s, what happened in the early part of the of, of the 2000s, and I mean, I look at the '90s and the '90s. You know, everyone the answer to everything seemed to be go buy another server. Yeah, more Servers hardware. Were inexpensive. They were easy to set up, and we had sprawl everywhere. And really, the answer to that was a virtualization for server consolidation. And it's interesting. Yeah, for test dev is certainly where it started. Um, you know, early on in, in, in the early part of the you know, 2000s, really, you know, that's where test dev, you know, that's where virtualization lived. Yeah. And now it's, it's just literally everywhere. I mean, at Microsoft, we deploy Hyper-V everywhere. We run some of our largest internet properties, including, you know, TechNet, MSDN, and even Microsoft.com, all powered by Hyper-V. These are production environments, mm-hmm. massive global scale. Um, and it just works. And it's just part of the fabric of how we do business um, at Microsoft. Do you find, I mean, certainly the enterprise has grabbed on virtualization hugely because if you've got these racks of servers, and I think the real reason we spun up so much hardware is mixing software was a maintainability problem and mm-hmm. it was cheaper to buy more hardware and keep everything isolated. Mm-hmm. And now we're doing that with VMs and rolling up a lot of machinery. But what about in the small business space? Do you see the same sort of penetration for Hyper-V? We are definitely seeing SMB as uh, the small mid-market branch offices. Mm-hmm. These guys have been looking for virtualization for a long time. And for a long time, you know, enter- virtualization pretty much started off in the enterprise and right. test dev, made its way to production. Um, but there were a lot of reasons why SMB never got to it. Number one um, was cost. Mm-hmm. It was simply just too expensive to deploy. Um, also difficulty complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the nice things about Hyper-V is it's simply a role in yeah. Windows Server. So if you know how to deploy a file server, a print server, you know how to enable a role, guess what? You know how to enable Hyper-V right. and you can be up and running in no time creating VMs and, and using virtualization. The other thing to, to keep in mind is just the, the power of the modern server. 
Um, you know, now we've reached a point where, you know, an entry level server with two sockets, quad core yep. is so ridiculously powerful. You know, why would you deploy a print server on the bare metal anymore? Well, I mean, it, you'd be the sitting smallest, around smallest machine you can buy yeah. has all that horsepower. Exactly. You'd, be, you'd be, sitting, be sitting idling most of the time yeah. doing nothing. So now it's just reached the point where virtualization is prevalent and SMBs are dying to take advantage of that, run more services on a single server, and really fully utilize the hardware. Now, is this something I should be thinking about as I'm buying out new hardware, or can I take what I've got right now and start rolling it into VMs? You know what's nice is you can do both. Mm-hmm. Um, really, from a Hyper-V standpoint, we have very little in terms of hardware requirements. Really, our requirement is it needs to be 64-bit. Yeah. Uh, we do need VT or, or, or AMD V, which is hardware virtualization assist. And, and there's the nothing you can buy today that doesn't have And that. no, this has been shipping in hardware for many, many years mm-hmm. now. Sometimes it's turned off in BIOS, though. On desktops, you'll find it, it's likely right. turned off. But on servers, it's very often enabled. Yeah. And so really, you know, you can find older hardware that's got it. Of course, mm-hmm. you're going to get the best performance out of uh, the latest and greatest where sure. you're seeing more cores, more threads, uh, more enhancements in terms of virtualization. For example, one of those is what we call um, second-level address translation. Mm-hmm. Um, on Intel, they call this extended page tables. Um, on AMD, they call it rapid virtualization indexing, or they also have called it nested page tables. But essentially allows us to offload some of the memory management capabilities for virtualization um, from doing it in the software, uh, software in the hypervisor down to the hardware. Right. And actually can improve performance pretty dramatically. So one of the things I do tell people is if you are buying new hardware for virtualization, make sure that it supports extended page tables, EPT on Intel, or rapid virtualization indexing on AMD. And again, that's available in pretty much anything you'd buy in the last year or two, um, but it gives you a tremendous performance boost. Do you, do you feel like you need to commit to one stack or the other, Intel or AMD? You know, I like to leave that as a choice to the, the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've run into customers that, you know, have a mix of both. Um, it really is, it really depends on what, what their preference is, what their pricing is, what their relationship sure. is with their partner. But, but when it comes we, to a mixture, there are challenges moving VMs between the hardware platforms. Certainly in, in the case of like live migration, for example, right. we don't support live migration between different processor vendors. Right. We can do live migration between different, uh, processor, um, different Intel processors. Mm-hmm. So for example, I could go from, as fact as an old, even from a Pentium 4 right. to a Core 2 or even a Core i5, i7 yeah. with some capabilities we have in, in Hyper-V. Um, I could do that across multiple generations of AMD processors as well. Right. The one thing I can't do is Intel to AMD or AMD to Intel. Right. So, I mean, from that So that is one consideration, yeah, yes. Think about what you want to do there mm-hmm. because if you, when it goes to, you know, one of the reasons to go to VMs is I can pick it up, put it on another machine. It's just not a big deal. A- absolutely. Live, live migration is certainly a key capability that customers insist on. It was the absolute first feature we made sure that we included mm-hmm. in Server 2008 R2 Hyper-V. And, and quite honestly, we were excited to bring live migration to everybody. Sure. And the other one that blows my mind every time I do it is P2V. Just because it's so, sh- you don't, first time I did it, I didn't believe. Mm-hmm. Right. I, mm-hmm. I'm, it was just running still. I actually had to go check to see that the old hardware was now off and it yes. was still running. Yes. System Center Virtual Machine Manager has a, a great P2V capability. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the fact that it can do it on ra- live running systems, create me virtual machines, and then put it into its library or use it as a basis for templates, great capability mm-hmm. built into System Center VMM. And so thinking about this SMB case where I'm, I've got a set of hardware here and I'm looking at virtualizing it, I guess the one piece I really want to introduce is System Center Virtual Machine Manager. System Center Virtual Machine Manager definitely is is 
it depends on the size you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. If it's maybe just a couple servers, for example, even in my own office, I've got, you know, three or four or five, um, uh, systems in my office and I will, I can do a lot of that from the built-in tools and Hyper-V right. Manager. We try to find what are the tasks that you most commonly do. Yeah. We want to make sure we give you that in the box, but there will be a point where you're going, you know what? I want to do more. Mm-hmm. I want templates. I want to be able to, you know, Instead of, you know, installing OSs, I want to create templates of VMs. And when I need a new VM, I, instead of installing an OS, say, hey, just deploy a new virtual machine based off this template. Off this template and off you go. Oh, yeah. So much faster. I mean, the important part here is the P2V capability comes from SCVMM. Yes. Okay. P2V comes out of SCVMM as well as library capabilities, templating capabilities. Right. There's some really awesome PowerShell that also I got to mention in VMM because you really want to do automation. You want it, you want to make sure, you know, you start focusing on PowerShell because that's truly an area of, of heavy investment for There's us at Microsoft. Scriptability. Scriptability is huge. We like scripting. It's yes. all good. Yes, we do. All right. I'm just working through the scenario of looking at a branch office, which is right now got three or four machines, which mm-hmm. we know mm-hmm. one you know robust machine can run them all in VMMs, mm-hmm. right? It's got a the file uh, server role, it's got a print server role, maybe it has the exchange mailboxes mm-hmm. for a larger exchange infrastructure there, and you know typically I deploy this all on its own hardware. Mm-hmm. Now I want to try and roll them together. Mm-hmm. I guess they really does it make sense at that point? Uh, am I just shutting off this gear? I can let that hardware go. Well, you know what you could do is there's 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 a number of different ways you could you could look at it. If if you look at the hardware, there's a very good chance you could if it's running on physical today, mm-hmm. you could reuse that for virtualization. Really, right. depending on what the requirements there are for those workloads, how modern that hardware is, what you know what what, what you've invested in terms of memory and storage. One thing you could very easily do is look. Let's convert those from physical to virtual. Mm-hmm. Let's install Hyper V. Take those 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 P to V converted. Run those on Hyper V. Yeah. What's also interesting is we could also use this as an opportunity to enhance your uptime. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of the key capabilities of Hyper-V is the ability to give you a solution for both planned and unplanned downtime yeah. with live migration and high availability through failover clustering. Right. And to do that, though, you do require some sort of shared storage. One thing we offer is we actually offer the iSCSI target software as a free download. Right. That used to be something that was only available in storage server, and we wanted to make it available to more people, especially in these small branch office environments, so they could download it, install it on a Windows server. Now you can use that storage, create an iSCSI target, use it as shared storage, and now your Hyper-V servers can connect to that iSCSI target um, and give you that for clustering. So I've got a solution for both planned and unplanned downtime. In the case of planned downtime, where I need to live migrate a VM off to add some more memory, add some more storage, do a firmware upgrade, or replace the machine, replace the machine, whatever I need to do, move those VMs off, and then when I'm done, move those VMs back. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of unplanned downtime, where you know someone actually knocks out the power cable by accident, those VMs will automatically restart on another cluster node without any user intervention. So I'm starting to paint a scenario here of a branch office with three servers, each running unique roles. Mm-hmm. We convert the two strongest ones over to Hyper-V, mm-hmm. P to V all the instances, maybe share the workload between them so they're both busy. Mm-hmm. And that third machine we've offloaded, maybe it's got the better drive array in mm-hmm. it, so I turn that into an iSCSI target, mm-hmm. and that's my shared storage for those two machines. Here's another thing to even consider, and this this is on, honestly something that's really exciting to me is the emergence of SSD. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, if you look over the last 15, 20 years, processors have just grown in leaps and bounds. Sure. 
the instructions per core, the, the amount of cores, the amount of logical processors, the amount of threads have all grown. Cache size have grown. Performance has grown dramatically. Mm-hmm. Memory is now getting much, much cheaper. Crazy fact, cheap. I, I just saw before I, I flew out here to Toronto, 16 gigabytes of memory was $75. <laughs> I'm, I was just blown away. I'm still blown away by that fact. Yeah, sure. Because I, I, I seriously remember when 16 gigabytes of memory was tens of thousands of dollars. Yes. It was crazy amount of money. And now it's literally 75 bucks. So SSD, though, is now changing the economics of storage. Mm-hmm. To get the IOPS out of an SSD, you used to have, you know, literally a rack full of spinning media. Sure. And it was all because of the fact that you're limited by the fact that there's a read-write head that had to go find a, a, a sector on the platter and go do that read-and-write and go to the next sector on the platter well, This is what that. the SAN guys cut their teeth on, was and how do I get yeah. all these spindles cooperating to so get the performance I, get I need? So I massive I.O. Sure. And massive IOPS. And now you can get that massive I.O. and massive IOPS out of some SSD. In fact... In one of my laptop, my personal laptop, I actually just pulled out the spinning media, dropped it in SSD. Mm-hmm. And it's like a completely different it's astonishing. machine. Astonishing! It's just blown yeah. me away how fast that thing awakes, sleeps, boots, everything. It's mm-hmm. just all instantaneous now. So getting back to our SMB branch office story, sure. you could take that machine that you've made that iSCSI target, and maybe you've got some spinning disks in there. But you know what? You could drop in some SSD. Granted, they're a little bit you know more pricey. More, more pricey. But the IOPS performance you can get by putting in a couple of those yeah. um, and dedicating that for Hyper-V, you can get some tremendous performance on a, on a very good, uh, reasonable yeah, a budget A pair there. of 256 gigs in RAID 1, so you've yes. got a sense of redundancy. Yes. You know, th- those drives are pretty darn stable. You know? Yes, they are. Surprisingly, they I mean, the stability has grown very quickly on those. And they're astonishingly fast. Yes. You know? at the top of the line these days are in the 400 megabytes per second range. Oh, yeah. Like, it's uh, unreal. Yes. So maybe I get four and go RAID 10. But either way, you know, we've got a ton of performance there. We move those sensitive things onto that. Mm-hmm. And because we've consolidated that way, uh, that's shared between both machines. So I don't have mm-hmm. to buy it for both machines. Mm-hmm. And we still got onboard storage on the machines themselves. That's right. But these shared things are sitting down there. So eh, it's an interesting configuration. Yeah. And I didn't have to buy a lot of hardware. I pretty right. much am using what I got. Right. And on the other hand, if you are an enterprise and you want to deploy Hyper-V, we run great up there as well. Sure. If you want to deploy us on a nice big SAN or you want to deploy us with a massive array behind us, Hyper-V will take full advantage of those resources as well. I'm also looking at the lighter weight iSCSI targets these days like Drobos. You know, mm-hmm. three, mm-hmm. $4,000. It's got all the built-in features. Perfect for that particular scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a pretty there, lightweight there, solution. You know, there's some really great storage solutions available at, at a, a, a massive variety of, of different price points. Mm-hmm. Um, Compellent, Equalogic, left-hand. Um, you know, there's some really nice iSCSI storage arrays that are capable out there. Um, and by offering the free iSCSI target for download, we wanted to even make it even easier sure. for people to start playing around with shared storage. And the point being, you don't have to buy a dedicated piece of hardware for this. Correct. Take a PC, set it up correctly, make sure it's got the dr- good drive mm-hmm. systems in it, use mm-hmm. its NICs, mm-hmm. and you've got yourself And iSCSI. as your business grows and you decide, you know what, maybe I do want to go with a dedicated storage solution, great. But you've now been playing with an iSCSI system yeah. and an iSCSI uh, storage uh, system, so you're now more comfortable to make that move. I guess I want to keep the iSCSI traffic isolated from the rest of the network traffic as well. Although in that particular scenario, I'm sure I've got two NICs in that machine, so I'm just direct wired. Definitely. Yeah, one thing I always tell people, it's it's interesting. People ask me a lot about Hyper-V performance, Mm -hmm. and they ask me their concern. How do I know it's going to perform or scale um, to to meet my requirements? And 99 times out of 100, it has nothing to do with Hyper-V. It's all, what's the hardware I'm using to back? What is, you know, the hardware that's backing Hyper-V? Right. Um, And Almost always it starts with storage. storage. CPU is rarely my problem. Yep. 
we've got so many cores, so many threads. That's not the problem. It's how do I get enough I.O. in and out of this virtual machine? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always start, I say, start with looking at your storage. How many spindles are you putting it behind yeah. it? What does your network configuration look like? If you are using iSCSI, yeah, you're going to want a dedicated um, I.O. path for, you don't want to be sharing, you know, your networking, your iSCSI um, uh, I.O. on the same NIC, for example. There's a reason why all those machines have three NICs in them. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the nice thing is multi-NIC cards are, are relatively are inexpensive, inexpensive as well. But most servers deal. come with at least two on the motherboard these yeah. days. If not more. This section of Run As Radio is sponsored by Secret Server, the password management software for IT admins. Secret Server helps you manage local admin passwords and service accounts the right way. Get your free 30-day trial for Secret Server at runasradio.com slash secret server. I'm trying to think where we could go from here because it's a pretty straightforward scenario at that point. What about involving the cloud in this? I mean, it's part of your work. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense for the branch office at this point to say, is cloud my backup solution? Is it an (laughs) alternative there? Well, there's a a number of things. First, let me me start one thing very uh, in terms of private cloud. So one thing I'm being asked about is, you know, how does private cloud fit in my infrastructure? Mm-hmm. And how does private cloud differ from, say, just standard virtualization? Right. And one of the things I try and get people to understand is, you know, simple virtualization started out as a necessity really with server consolidation. Right. It goes back to what we had in the 90s where we bought all these servers. Now we wanted to P2V them. We wanted to reduce our power costs. We want to reduce our physical footprint. Um, and we wanted to stop expanding our data centers, which yes. is a huge problem for a lot of people. Um, and we really wanted to maximize our hardware utilization. Server consolidation and virtualization make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. As we move to private cloud, though, the requirements change, and we want to change the management paradigm. Um, in consolidation, you really P2V to a, a single server, and you still manage that VM as a single entity. But as we move to a service-oriented world where you've got you know multiple VMs that may create an entire service, you really want to manage the entire service, not each one of those VMs. Right. And that's where you start to get the real benefits of cloud and scale and elasticity. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if my you know my three tier service, um, all of a sudden the holiday season rolls around, I need that thing to scale out by a factor of four. Right. I don't want to have to go to every VM, configure each one, give it more memory, give it more storage, give it more I/O. I really want to go to the service um, and say, you know what, scale 4x and have the service do the rest for me. Right. So that's a, a key tenet of cloud. Another one is really about the service and application monitoring itself. And this is, again, this is a uh, an issue I've seen many times over the years where people are, they're monitoring the VM. And the VM says, hey, everything looks like it's okay, but they're not actually monitoring the workload in the VM. The app. Yeah, the actual app, the actual service, the workload running in the VM. Mm-hmm. And that's where people realize that they've got a huge blind spot in their infrastructure. And that's where something like System Center Operations Manager really comes in handy to say, sure. look, you got to be able to monitor and understand the health and performance of that service in there. Because maybe the VM says everything's running fine. Hey, everything looks green across the board. At the end of the day, I don't care whether I'm running SQL in a VM or on a physical machine. Mm-hmm. What I do care is that SQL is running well and that its health is actually being, you know, it's actually running at the right health level and its sure. status is green across the board. And so that's one thing I'm always telling people, don't forget about the apps and services. Otherwise, you're doing yourself a tremendous disservice. Well, it does seem like the SMB space now is trying to figure out what stays in my office and what's better served in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Looking at stuff like Office 365. Yeah. It's, it's really challenging to justify running your own Exchange server when you start looking at these well, uh, setups. And you know what? And, and, and brings up a really good question. So, you know, there's the whole thought of, 
You know, there's private, there's public, there's hybrid, and there's uh, there's there's going to be a certain class of customer that says, you know what, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to build my own cloud. Yep. I'm going to do a private cloud only. I don't want anything running in a, a public cloud. Everything sure. I'm going to build and run it start to finish. And I totally get it. There's a lot of legitimate reasons, uh, whether it's regulatory, whether it's compliance, mm-hmm. whether it's data sovereignty issues. These are all good reasons. Sure. We want to make sure we give you the best solution overall. So there are going to be people that want to build their own private cloud. Great. We want Windows Server and System Center to be the best platform for private cloud. Sure. On the other hand, you may be in a small, medium business. You go, look, I'm a small company. I don't want to set up an exchange server. I don't know how to do it. I don't have an IT staff. Mm-hmm. I don't have the budget to go do all this. Look, I'm a small shop, Office 365, mail through exchange, online services. Perfect. Yeah. And so there's going to be a subset of users that are completely... Um, a public cloud as well. Right. And then there's the vast majority in the middle where we think most people are going to live where they're doing a hybrid. It's always going to be. It feels like it's always yeah, going to be hybrid. Yeah. There's going to be some services. You know what? Maybe I move a, a good chunk of them up to the public cloud, but there's going to be some services that are core, some data that's core to me that I'm always going to manage myself mm-hmm. on premise because guess what? That's just how we do business. That's my core IP and I want it under my lock and my key. Sure. Well, it's tough to how could you put all your file services up in the cloud? I think you're always going to want a certain number yeah. of files in the office yep. and a certain amount of services in the office. And yep. then you need, you want to offload what you can offload, what actually provides you a better product when it's not only in the office. Yes. And we really want to provide you the best cloud solution, whether it's private, whether it's public, mm-hmm. or most likely a hybrid of the two. When it comes to moving vir- virtual machines around, they're they're a bit big for just hauling up into the cloud. Yes. It really isn't an offering that may even in like Amazon's EC2, they don't let you just send a VM. You have to build it up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not that simple. No, it's not. There's a lot of challenges. Um, we've done a lot of enhancements with live migration, um, and in fact. I was just giving a sneak peek here. Um, I've been, um, I've really had a wonderful time here at Tech Days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I just gave a sneak peek of something we're showing that's new in Windows Server 8, which is really this concept of a, a shared nothing live migration. Um, and it's in fact the ability to live migrate a VM between two systems with nothing but an Ethernet cable. Wow. And, um, so this is a, a really awesome new capability. We're kind of, showing people kind of a sneak peek of what's coming in Windows Server 8. But one of the things that, you know, customers have told us is really at the end of the day, they love live migration. They love the mobility it provides. It opens up so many options for flexibility, allows them to service on their own time, allows Mm -hmm. us to um, change out the hardware transparently, whether it's storage, whether it's compute, and really gives them flexibility about when they want to do the work, whether it's an emergency or non-emergency, with minimal or no disruption to the business. Right. And so we looked at that really to the nth degree, and we said, listen, we want to provide you complete mobility. So literally, we are now able in Windows Server 8 to be able to live migrate a VM from one server to another with no shared storage, no SAN, no file share, literally an Ethernet cable between two systems, um, and it just works. I'm just trying to imagine what actually goes on there. I mean, you, obviously, you, you must start copying the VM because it's got a certain size to it. You're keeping the original instance still running, so it must go into journal mode so that you're keeping a record of the changes. It's, like just, it's, it's, I can't help but think it's this It's a combination of technologies that are mm-hmm. happening. It's taking advantage of our new live storage migration so yeah. that we can move all of the storage, all of the on-disk representation of the virtual machine, whether it's disks, snapshots, configuration files, any on-disk representation. And then once we get those safely moved to the 
to the new destination, then we move all of the running state, all of the virtual processes, everything, mm-hmm. and then we move that on over to the target. Once we're able to confirm that we can do all of that safely and we can begin executing on the, on the destination, then we can delete everything on the source and we've safely moved everything. I've greatly simplified everything, yeah. just to be very clear. This is a really difficult and uh, there's a lot of engineering prowess to, to solve this uh, and tackle this problem. But that's kind of at a very high level what we do. I mean, you are going to have to re... If I've got a machine talking to a VM yes. in the midst of this migration, yes. at some point... It's even though the IP address moved to the new instance. Yes. We just the ARP tables in the network alone have yep. to deal with the fact that that's now on a different port. Yep. It's, it sounds like that connection has to be reestablished some way. We do all of that. Yeah. We do all of that as well. That's very and then magical. Of cor- and of course, the, the most important thing is we have to make sure, in any case, like we do with live migration today, even mm-hmm. today with what we're shipping in server 2008 or two, that if in the middle of this live migration. If anything happens, like someone accidentally unplugs the network sure. cable that connects the, between these two in the live migration, that we always fall back and yeah. that we never, you know, no one's data is ever lost. Well, we you're always, never down. Exactly. It's got to be running downtime. the whole time. Exactly. So we always continue to run on the source until we're absolutely positive that we're able to begin execution on the destination. Right. And then is when we actually, you know, discontinue the services on the source. And, and that's but true it's a, it's of a, the existing migrations in SCVMM on 2008 R2. Yes. This is just taking it the next this step. This is taking it to the absolute extreme <laughs> next step uh, in Windows Server Like you said, share nothing. Yes. I, I bring a new machine into the equation that has no relationships to anything, but it's running Hyper-V, and I can say, yes. okay, you get this instance, no go cluster, to work. No cluster, no SAN, no file share. Wow. Here's an Ethernet cable. Can I see it? Can I write to the destination? Great. We can live migrate an, it. An awful go. Yes. That's very cool, Jeff. So there's a sneak peek at one cool new capability in Windows Server 8. And we're still a ways away from Server 8 mm-hmm. from an IT perspective yet. From an IT perspective, yes. But it sounds to me like if if I'm going down the SCVMM path and using Hyper-V, I'm on the road to what Server 8 is going to bring to me. You, you are absolutely on the road. And, and when people ask me, is Windows Server, is that private cloud? I'm always very clear. Server is the platform part. Right. But private cloud is server and system center. Mm-hmm. Because you can't have just the platform without the management infrastructure. And system center brings such a rich management infrastructure to the equation. And the thing I always point out is, again, it's not about just managing the virtualization layer. Right. That, again, that's a very narrow focus. That's what right. a virtualization company will tell you. Right. We do far more than that. To give you a cloud solution, you have to manage, first of all, heterogeneous virtualization. We'll yes. manage VMware, we'll manage Hyper-V, we'll manage Zen Server, mm-hmm. all from System Center Virtual Machine Manager. But we need to manage the hardware, we need to manage the applications, we need to manage far more than that. Right. We want to manage, if you're running Windows, if you're running Linux distros, if you're running PHP, if you're running .NET, if you're running Java, we want to give you management for all of those. Right. And that's really far beyond what... Other purported uh, cloud vendors are, are 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 really you know claiming um, they're really virtualization vendors. And, and I'm quoting from your keynote where you said it's about the app. It is about the app. And it's, it is actually the, the application we're serving up to our users that matters, and you need all these things to get to be able to Absolutely. know about the app. Absolutely, it's deep insight all the way down into that level. And we've done shows on OpsMan before, but uh, I guess if you're gonna if you're gonna look at that, you need OpsMan. Yes, OpsMan. Really, really best in class when it comes to this. I mean, it can go all the way in your VMs, manage the VM layer, manage the host, manage all aspects all the way, drill all the way deeply in there. But I think when you, once you start looking at that stack, suddenly the, the cost or the, or the complexity of migrating to a cloud 
implementation is is clearer just because if you don't want to manage that app that way, say Exchange, one of the ways to get all of those things is to go 365 yes. or look for CRM in the same sort of angle, dynamics. Yes. Just because that's what those cloud things offer. It's not yes. just the app. It's the management of it. Well, in the case of CRM, the other thing that Dynamics gives you in the cloud is just unbelievable scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to do CRM capabilities, very often you're talking about massive data warehouses. You want to parallelize um, that processing. There, Azure is built to do exactly that yeah, type of thing. It. Not you, a big deal. Go, go for it. You you want to you know you need. How many nodes? How big is your data? Just go for it. Right. It will just scale out and crunch it faster than anything. And you don't have to invest in any IT at all. Well, I it love that, you, that you know you you're at a conference and you have to light up a bunch of instances for the guys that are working at the conference. And when they come home, you can shut it back off again. Yes. You don't have to own it. Yes. Jeff, thanks so much for talking. Hey, to us. my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.